This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for my friends, your sons and daughters who are here this morning, and that we come together to this place, not because it's a special place, but you hold a special place in our hearts. And we come together in unity. We come together in in submission to your perfect will. And we desire, we cry out to you, we ask you right now to speak to us. We want to hear your voice. We want you to teach us. You're the good shepherd. You're our good, good father. And we pray that you would be our leader, that you would lead us, that you would teach us by your word, and that you would be glorified. God, thank you so much for the time that that we got to have in Israel. And I pray, Lord, for the future, for those that you would have that experience for, that that you would stir their hearts and not even just do a stirring, but, but an abundance of provision for them. They're no holier in Israel than they are right now this morning before you. So we enter into your throne boldly to receive mercy and grace in time of need. In this time, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going through Matthew in our Forsaken Kingdom series, and we've talked about over the weeks, not the last two weeks as I went here, but before that, talked about how everybody had different expectations in what Jesus should be doing there and, and what the kingdom should be looking like, even to the point of, of his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. They still didn't even know uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Is it this time that you're going to fulfill or you're going to bring the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the the days or the the seasons, for my Father in heaven to know alone. But I've called you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I've given you the Holy Spirit as a testimony of who God is. You guys have received the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into that a little bit more in this study. But first of all, uh, the title of today's message is Fake it till you make it. Have you guys ever heard that before? Fake it till you make it. It means you you know where you want to be. You're not exactly sure how you're going to get there, but you're going to act like you're already there before you get there. There's this favorite scene. It's not my absolute favorite, okay, because the whole movie's pretty good. But have you guys ever seen Mars Attacks? And, and, <laughs> and the general of the whole military is in the Jeep, and he's driving out to the dry lake bed in Pahrump. Can anything good come from Pahrump? It was filmed out there, right? He's driving down there, and he's on the phone with his wife, and he's like, can you believe I made it to the top? I, I, all I had to do was keep my, my mouth shut, and, and, and he didn't say it, but what he meant was fake it till he got there. We live in a culture of fakes. People who put on facades and act like they're somebody that they're not. Do you guys understand that? The world will say, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. 
But I would submit to you that the world is more hypocritical than even the church is most of the time, if not all the time. And my heart for God's church, for our church, is that we would be a community of genuineness and authenticity, that we would be able to be honest with ourselves before God and be good witnesses for God, of God, and we'd be able to demonstrate his goodness through that genuineness. I, for one, have strived to want to be the kind of person, especially as a pastor, who's genuine and real. And if you've known me for any amount of time, you would see that I, I strive to that end. I used to be fake. I don't want to be fake. I, I've got nothing to make. I've got no place to be or place that I want to go. I just simply want to be in humility before my God rightfully representing who he is, not who I am. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be looking at different characters in this text. Some were fakes, and they were trying to make something. They were trying to make it. And some were just real. They were authentic. They were genuine. And when the world sees you guys, church... When the world sees you guys in your genuineness and in your authenticity, I'm going to tell you what, there's going to be a draw to you because that's what the world desires. But instead, they're duped by the enemy. You have to put this out on social media. You have to act like you're a certain kind of person. You've got to act like you're all together. But in this kind of community, I hope we can be honest with each other without judgment and meet each other where we're at because we all understand that there's deficiencies in our lives and that we can prop each other up. We can help each other through life. We are being made holy. We are being made sanctified by the grace of God. Amen? Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 19. Can we read this together? It worked earlier. Let's try to do this together. I'm even going to count down for you. Let's read these five words of verse 19 together. Three, two, one. Now when Herod was dead. Who was Herod? Herod was the king. And Herod had a plan for his kingdom. Later on in antiquity, he would be known as Herod the Great. He was an architect. He was an administrator. He was feared by, by many. Herod, listen to this, was a fake. Herod was a fake. He was a third generation convert to Judaism. In fact, he was half Jewish and the Jewish people he knew and everybody else knew too, the Jewish people hated him. He was a half breed. He was playing or acting in a position that he really should not, should not have had, but he found favor in the, in the eyes of the Roman authority and he's playing and, and building this kingdom. But then we find out in this verse that Herod, as, as hard as he tried to build his kingdom, he died. His kingdom came to nothing. And sure, on our tour through Israel, over and over again, our tour guide referred to Herod the Great and the great things that he built and the, the second temple and 
Masada and these incredible feats that, that he was able to do while he was on the earth. But his kingdom was temporary. What he desired to show as his strengths in his life, we see were actually his weaknesses. And again, just referencing quickly, the things that we have to deal with today in our everyday life is is a society that makes itself out to be something that it's not. We've talked about this before, and I don't really want to beat it too much, but you know that the, 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 the epidemic of depression in the United States right now is unprecedented. Do you, do you guys know that? We're, we're prescribed more antidepressant pills in the United States than the whole rest of the world Every other country in the world combined by two, at least. Do you know why there's such a struggle and such an issue with depression right now? It's because we can't keep up with what society tells us that we should look like, who we should be. We look at our our social media platforms and we see people who we want to be like, but we don't feel like we could ever attain to the things that they are doing or who they are. And it it causes us sadness. But I want to tell you that God has something greater for you than what society says you should look like. And we as believers should not be buying into the fake news garbage of this day and age. We should not be buying into it. So when we get down a little bit further, we're going to see four ways or four reasons or four responses rather to faking it. Our responses as the church to the world, four responses to faking it. We're going to get some instruction this morning in God's word. But verse two or chapter two, verse 19 says, now when Herod was dead, Herod tried so desperately to create a legacy, that he built this one complex that was one of the grandest of all that he had done. It was called Herodium. Has anybody ever heard of Herodium before? It's in the Judean desert, and there's, you know what desert looks like, right? It's just dirt and bushes. There's, the, there's this plot in the desert that, that Herod said, I'm going to build myself a resort. It's going to be called, after me, it's going to be called Herodium. And it's going to be this huge place, and it's right plopped down in the middle of the, the area of the Judean desert where all of the pilgrims that were required to go to Jerusalem for the feasts had to go right by it, and they could see this big monstrosity. In fact, for the sake of illustration, I, I, may, I put this slide up for you so that you could see that mountain was built by Herod's servants, and that's Herodium. On the top was his palace, his spas down below, the community that served him. And he ended up making this his tomb, his crypt, where he was buried when he, was, when he died. If you look at Herodium from this perspective right here, and you kind of follow that corner right there with the guard tower straight over to me, if you were looking over this valley right here, right over to this mountain, small hills and mountain, it's an eye shot. You can see right across from the top of Herodium, there's a small little town there. That, that Do you know what town was right across the way there? In between where Herodium was and the pilgrims would walk, there's this small town called Bethlehem. And you could see the town of Bethlehem from the top of Herodian. You get this picture of these two kings and their kingdoms. 
the one king, Herod the Great, whose kingdom fell and could not last. And ultimately, you go see and look at the ruins today, and then you look at this little, this little town where a baby was born in humility, in humbleness, and placed in a, in a manger, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the road still goes down to the Dead Sea. You can see in the picture, the road goes down to the Dead Sea, separating this area where Herodium is built. And then up on the hill on the other side is Bethlehem, where Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born. These are the same hills that if you're up on top looking around at the, at the, the hills and, and the valley surrounding, these are the same hills that the, the shepherds would be tending their sheep the night that the angel appeared to them. And they rejoiced in the birth of the Messiah. The same area he built this before Jesus was born. And it speaks of two kinds of people. The person that wants to build their own kingdom, even if they got to try to fake it as much as they can till they make it. Versus God's kingdom that comes and his will that's done on earth as it is in heaven. Now Herod was dead Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now Herod died of disease. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he'll also reap. God cut his life off short, and we'll see even in the future his son also is going to suffer the same the same demise, but Herod's dead. His kingdom is going to uh, be handed over to his son, Archelaus. And history tells us that Archelaus was a shrewd, evil, mean man who, who rivaled the, the wickedness of his father, but without the tactfulness and political drive. So he was deposed by Rome. He was not allowed to remain king. He was removed. But then Herod's other son, uh, you and I will know if we read the book of Acts, Herod Antipas took his place. And he's the one that we're going to be having exchanges with in the future. But all that to say, Archelaus is reigning. God warns them in a divine dream to protect and take care of them. And they go to Galilee, to the town of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a, was a nasty little place. Josephus, the historian, the Jewish historian, and other people will, will make comments about how kind of Nazareth was the armpit of the, the, the area of Galilee and of Israel. People did not look up to it. It's kind of like Pahrump. And I know that we have people from Pahrump watching the live feed. This is not a personal attack against you. It's a personal attack against Pahrump. I'm just, it's a joke. I grew up in Pahrump. I'm just kidding. Can anything good come from Pahrump? I don't know. But I thank you. As Jesus came from Nazareth. <laughs> but that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, 
he shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus had a special affinity for, he had a, a gift to, to meet people where they're at. You know, the tax collectors and the sinners and the, the prostitutes and whoever it was, he had this uncanny ability to connect with people, right? Throughout the gospels. He grew up around them. This is the kind of people that would have been known to grow up in that area that was very, you know, not appealing kind of place. I love, we were, we were going through, uh, I loved Israel. Uh, sorry if I reference it too much. It was such an amazing trip, and I got to do Bible teachings at sites almost every day, every other day, and it's just, I'm just exhilarated and excited for this season that God has our church in coming back. I'm super stoked. And we were, took, we were in this one Bible study, and, and it says in Hebrews that the son, Jesus, he had to learn obedience. And we think Jesus, you know, he hit every home run. He, he rode the bike without the training wheels the first time, right? That's what being perfect was. That's not what being perfect was. Jesus can identify with your weaknesses, because he went through some of the same things that you went through, if not all the same kinds of things that you went through. And he resisted sinning to the point of shedding his own blood. Jesus learned obedience in the same way that we have to learn obedience. And he learned it through the place that his father planted him, bringing him up in Nazareth and then taking him out to do his will and purpose when his calling started at that age that he, he did start to go and preach the kingdom of God. Chapter three, this is where we're gonna see our four responses to faking it. Am I talking to myself or do you guys think the world likes to fake it? I like to act like a way that they aren't really. And The world's a bunch of fakers. These are four responses for us as believers not to get sucked into that same kind of mentality because if we rub shoulders with people in the world, if we're exposed by things of the world, there's going to be this propensity, there's going to be this drawing to a philosophy that might work better than ours. It's a lie from the enemy. We're not faking it. There's sincerity and genuineness, not only in our walks with God, but in our relationships with each other. And here's the four responses. Look at chapter three. We'll look at the first one, starting in verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So we have Herod, the hypocrite, hypocrites, which means to put on a show, it's an actor. You're acting like you're somebody that you're not. That was what he was doing. He wanted to be a Jewish king. He tried to play the part. He was not. And here we have a man who was genuine, authentic, connected to his calling to God. What was his name? John the Baptist. Except I will submit to you that he was not Baptist. He wasn't first Southern. He wasn't second or third or whatever else you want. He wasn't true. Uh, our tour guide along the whole uh, tour as we were going through Israel, she only always referred to John as John the baptizer. And, and she said, sorry if I say John the baptizer to me. You know, she said, sorry if I say John the baptizer, but that's what it is. I said, I love that. I'm going to start calling him John the baptizer because he wasn't a Baptist. He was a baptizer, Right? 
In those days, John the baptizer came preaching the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Number one, if you don't want to get sucked into the fake news of faking it till you make it, the first thing that we have to be regularly willing to do is repentance. We've, we talk about this pretty regular. This is so important. If you haven't tuned in yet, listen to this really quick, okay? This is so very important. Thank you, baby. Repentance, listen, repentance is the key to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not repentant, the gospel has nothing to offer you. And I know people, and maybe you know people, we're not pointing fingers, we're not fruit inspectors, but, but you cannot it, hope to receive the promises of God, hope to receive abundance of life, or any of the thing that God desires for you to receive apart from divorce from true repentance in your life. People who are unrepentant in their lives are faking it, acting like everything's okay when they know, and God knows, that they have deficiencies that need to be addressed. I have to be repenting, repentant on a daily basis. Who, you? Yeah, I'm not perfect. Only every other day do I have to repent. Every day. I identify more with Paul than I do anybody that says that they've arrived when Paul says, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. I do what I do. And this is Paul the Apostle who wrote most of the Old Testament by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? If we want to be the most genuine, sincere kind of Christians that we're called to be, we will be living in and exercising repentance on a regular basis. At any time pride creeps into our lives and we say, I'm better than confessing that sin, we're in a bad place and not able to move forward in faith. Repentance is essential. It's absolutely necessary. Even through the smallest things, sometimes God tests me to see if I'm willing to come to him and, and throw myself down before his, his feet on my face and repent. Like on the way back from Israel, I got a center seat. How many of you guys like to fly on a jet plane for 11 hours in the middle? And I talked to the lady at the ticket place. I said, listen, I need a, I need a, I need a window seat but I'll settle for an aisle. She said, sir, this flight is so full. I said, I don't think you heard me. I can't sit in the middle. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? She said, there's nothing I can do. So I said, fine, Lord. This will be, this will be just wonderful. So I get down and there you go. There's a lady on the aisle and there's a guy at the window and there's my seat calling my name. And I said, and she looked at me, she said, this is yeah, that's right there. You know, I'm like, but if you would prefer to sit in the middle, I, I wouldn't mind switching with you. No joke. First thing I said to her, nice to meet you. Jesus loves you. Do you want to trade seats with me? She said, no, why would I want to sit in the middle? I want an aisle seat. I said, okay, fine. So I sat down. I'm checking out the guy by the window thinking of how I can pitch this to him where it's going to be his idea and not mine. 
And, and the guy by the window and the, guy, and the lady on the aisle, they're striking up this great conversation. They're talking and, and about all kinds of things. And before very long goes by, I realize that they are none other than husband and wife. And I said to the, the guy, when I realized that they were married, I said, hey, you know, if you would like to sit next to your wife for this 11-hour flight, I would be willing to, I mean, it's a sacrifice, but I would be willing to trade with you. He said, I hate the middle. I don't want to sit in the middle. I want to sit in, in, in the window. And I kid you not, for the next hour, they continue to have a conversation with each other across from each other in front of me as I sat there and prayed. Lord, you are so good. And then I fell asleep, thankfully. And um, the husband decided that he, uh, for good reason, probably he had to go to the bathroom. So he woke me up, said, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. No problem. That happens to all of us, I'm sure, even the queen. So we got out and, and uh, they go down to use the bathroom. I sit back down and 10 minutes goes by and 20 minutes goes by and a half an hour goes by. And all I want to do, listen, we got on the plane in Tel Aviv at midnight. We got back. Friday at 10.30 a.m. I'm just like not wanting to talk to anybody, you know, and I'm just like half an hour. What kind of bathroom break is this? So I get up because I'm pretty sincere. You know, I don't want to be faking it. <laughs> so I went to go find them. The whole plane is sleeping. The lights are out. Everybody's heads are bowed in an attitude of prayer, but they're not praying. They're sawing logs. And I'm, in, I'm walking to the back, and the whole plane is asleep, except for this couple who are standing in the back of the plane talking to the airline stewardesses, having a great time, jovialing it up, having a conversation. And I walked, I look at the lady and I just looked at her like, oh, hi. And, 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 and I walked up to her and I said, hey, I, I want to go to sleep. When are you guys going to come back to your seats so I don't fall asleep and then you come wake me up? I'm just trying to be honest, like, hey, what's going on? And she said, oh, it's okay. We're just a little bit longer. We're just stretching our legs. And I said, oh, okay, you know, all right. So go back to my seat. Another 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour goes by. It's an hour I'm sitting there awake trying to contain myself as I'm exercising this verse and repenting. God, please give me the grace that I need to be kind to this couple. So they, get, they come back and they sit down and it had been a long flight. I got some rest and then we, we, we arrived in Washington, D.C. to get our connecting flight. And it's early in the morning. Some of us have slept, some of us have not. And somebody said something to me that was nonsensical, something that you don't say to somebody early in the morning as a joke. And I had to turn around and walk away. And the reason I'm telling you this is because maybe it's silly. Maybe it, do, maybe it doesn't even really have place, but I think it does because whatever we go through in life, we have to be in the place that we're continually willing to run to the Father and repent for our attitudes, repent for our perspectives. And I had to go and say, you know what, Lord, forgive me. I know that this is going to be over before I know it, and that you have ushered me into this situation to continue to remind me of your goodness toward me and how I continue to fall short. If you don't want to be a fake Christian, 
which I would implore you to run in the opposite direction of, you need to be exercising on a regular basis repentance towards God. And, and it's easy to repent toward God, isn't it? God, I'm sorry. <laughs> and repentance towards one another. You know, it takes, it takes a lot to walk up to a brother or sister that you wronged and say, you know what? I'm sorry that I did that. I apologize. I wronged you. It was wrong. And I hope that you receive my repentance. This, re this idea of repentance is point number one, but it's going to come full circle as we're going to see toward the end of the story. And, and if you don't know, I'd like to define for you what repentance looks like. Uh, repentance always kind of has a, a negative connotation because of the, the hellfire brimstone preachers, you know, repent. It's not the idea that we get. The idea of repentance is, this is the idea, is that you, you fixed your, your, your position, you fixed your eyes in a certain direction, and you're going in that direction, and you realize that it's wrong, and that you should not continue to go in that direction. This is what the illumination of the gospel does for you. Your response in repentance is turning 180 degrees in the opposite direction, not pursuing those things anymore that you know are wrong, and going in the opposite direction. That's what true repentance look like, looks like. True repentance is not worldly sorrow where you feel bad about doing bad things and you continue to do them. But we're going to look at that in a minute as we continue through our four points of responses to faking it. Number one, repent. Number th uh, verse three, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Number two, in opposition to being fake or a hypocrite, what's number two? Number one is repent. Number two is prepare, prepare. What you're doing in preparing yourself to be in the right place for God to meet you in the season that you're in is you're saying that you have faith that he is going to take you through into the next season and those things are good that he has for you. There's a preparing that comes after repentance. God, I know in my submission to you that you have good things for me. And, and let me say this, if you're not repentant, I just had this conversation with somebody not too long ago. If you're not repentant of your secret sin that you're living in, don't expect good things from God. I'm sorry, that's just the way that it is. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever somebody sows, that's what they're also going to reap. If you want to sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. Repentance, and then after repentance comes preparedness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer was baptizing them with water. We're going to see in a few verses in here coming up that there's another greater than, than the baptism of repentance that we are going to get to partake of. But before we get to there, let's get through the rest of these points. Number two is prepare and to, for you to prepare in your heart through repentance, those things that God has for you. Verse number four, now John himself with clothed in, was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. Point number three, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts with honey. If John was in Vegas a couple months ago, he would have had a feast. That guy would be in heaven. 
Look at all these locusts. Number three point, presentation or present. And you guys know what that means, right? The world presents themselves in a certain way and says, this is who I am, even if it's not who they are. And they do it really regularly too. This is who I am. No, it's not. You're faking it. You're not really like that. But John, the baptizer, he presented himself for who he really was. He didn't really care what people thought about what he wore. He didn't really care about, you all know that when I said that he ate locusts, you were squirming in your seat. You want to eat a locust? We've got a bucket of them in the back that we're all going to take communion with locusts today. No, you don't like it. You don't want it. That's gross. John the baptizer did not care what people thought about him. He was genuine. He was authentic. Now, is God calling you to, to do that same kind of, or to, to live that same kind of way in humility, in dress and in food? No, no, it was specifically for John the baptizer. But let's not, let's not act like we're people or make up ourselves like we're people that we're really not. Not towards the world, but especially not toward each other. I, I trust you guys, most of you. I trust most of you guys, and I love you to the degree that if you came up to me and you said, Tim, I noticed this, something about your life that, that seems to be maybe a deficiency or maybe seems to be lacking, do you know that I would receive that thing that you said to me? And I would say, Lord, is this something that I need to address in my life that a brother or sister has, has recognized? I'm not above correction, as none of us should be. But how am I presented? How are you presented? How was John the baptizer presented? He said, this is who I am. This is what my calling is. doesn't matter what people thought about me. In fact, Jesus references what people thought about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, why did you go out into the wilderness? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Listen to me. With presentation, your presentation, your witness as a believer, as a Christian... People are going to look at you. Your presentation, if it is according to what God's called you to and where he's placed you in life, you can also function in the capacity of John the baptizer, which he did. He functioned in what kind of capacity? What did it say there? As a prophet. I believe prophecy is still a valid gift for today. I'm not talking about fortune forecasts, lucky charms. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next year. Be careful. Let's read the stars baloney. I'm not talking about that. The gift of prophecy in the Bible specifically is speaking the truth of God. And that was connected to the calling that John the baptizer had in his life. And if you and I can be in a place of continual repentance before God, 
to be aligned with him, calibrated, going in the direction that he has for us. If we can be prepared, like Paul says in Timothy, there's in, in a large house, there's many vessels, vessels of righteousness and vessels of unrighteousness, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. If you are cleansed from the latter, you are a vessel of honor, fitting and useful for every good work. The question is, do you want to be used by God? Yes. Well, be in a place of repentance, be in a place of preparedness to be prepared to be used. And then also in your presentation, be willing and able to speak the truth to people. And again, I'm not saying get a bullhorn and go down on the strip and start screaming in people's faces because you'd be surprised at how often you would speak the truth of God and you don't even realize it. The truth of God isn't condemnation. The truth of God isn't convicting somebody of their sin. The Holy Spirit can do that. The truth of God is you being a vessel, a conduit for God to speak truth into other people's lives around you. And Paul says, hey, the gift of tongues is great, but the gift of prophecy? Oh, the benefits, oh, the mysteries of the will of God and the gift of prophecy. Seek that gift. And I would say to you guys today, seek that gift, the gift of prophecy that through your presentation of your life, you're not posting selfies like the Pharisees were. Yo, check out my new phylactery. This is so awesome. Hashtag real life. In the Sanhedrin, you know, the phylacteries, <laughs> that was my own fault. The big hats that were decorated. Oh, look at his hat. Look at his life. Look at her life. Look at where they, where they go. Look what they do. Peter said to Jesus, what about him? What's going to happen to him? He says, you don't worry about him. If my desire is that he would remain until I return, that's between me and him. That's my business, not yours but I have called you for a purpose. I have things in store for your life. And I want you to focus on that, not what other people around you look like, not what other people have that you think you need because you don't need it. That's how the world operates. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, Bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Oh, I love this verse. One of the most incredible things about being a pastor, I've shared these kinds of things with you before, but really, honestly, one of the most exciting, exhilarating things about being a pastor is seeing the power of the Holy Spirit get a hold of somebody's life. And I've seen somebody who functioned or acted in repentance going in one direction, turn around and go in the opposite direction, that their lives, they don't even look like the same people anymore. And they're around you to your right and to your left. God has so redeemed and transformed their lives by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it, it continues to blow my mind. 
but there's two sides to every coin. And while I, can, uh, while I can celebrate with those people that I see the power of God's spirit manifest in their lives and the change that comes through a submitted life to God, well, I also see people who fake it and act like they're repenting, but they're not repenting. They're still doing the same things. They're still going in the same direction and their life doesn't have any Christian produce to show from it. They're like the same people. And I've had to have conversations with people after two or three years and they're sitting in my office and they're crying. Why does my life look like this? And I, and I have to say, have you ever really repented? Like, have you ever really been so fed up with making the same mistakes over and over again that you're like, I'm done with that life? Baptism, I'm buried to that old person. I'm dead to those things. I'm pursuing God through repentance. And naturally, you see, producing fruit isn't something that you're called to work to do. Producing fruit is something that happens in a believer's life through repentance naturally. Just like a tree that produces fruit, it happens naturally. You don't see, I, I like it, you know, I, I do. You don't see that orange tree over there in the corner of your yard just trying, pop, 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 pop. Man, you tree, you did a good job, tree. You've been working on that fruit. Done a good job right there. No. Whose job is it to make sure the tree produces fruits? The gardener cultivates the soil, fertilizes it, cuts off the branches that would take away from producing more fruits. If you are connected to the true vine, Jesus you will produce fruit. But know this, apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from him, there will be no produce in your life. And I don't say that accusatorily. I don't even know if that's a word, but it fits. I don't say that to accuse you. I say it for the sake of, of knowledge, understanding. I want to be a fruit producer. I don't want to fall back into this cycle of sin that maybe nobody else knows about, but I know about it. And guess what? God knows about it. And because there's no real submission through repentance to his kingdom and his righteousness, there's no fruit that comes from your life, but you want it. I know you want it. I want it. He says to them, therefore, if you don't want to suffer the wrath, therefore, if you don't want to receive the futility of no fruit, then submit to me, submit to God. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't think that how you identify yourself, the things that you think about yourself, your membership to anything causes God to look at you any differently. It's only purely through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that he looks at you differently. Not any kind of sacrifice you have to offer him or anything that you could do or any group that you can say that you're a part of. God says, God, uh, uh, he says, God can raise up children from these stones. 
What was he speaking about? What was he talking about? He was talking about you and me. He was talking about God can do a thing that, that you so do not understand. He could bring a people to himself, for himself, that's directly in contradiction to who you identify and, and think you are. Romans chapter 11, verses 16 through 18, Paul talks about this very concept. He says, for if the first fruit is holy, he's talking about fruit that comes from the tree. If the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Now, Paul's specifically talking about how the nation of Israel in pride elevated themselves to a position where God said, you are not only prideful in your estimation, but you are not producing any fruit. So therefore, I will make a people who were not my people, graft them into the tree to produce that fruit that I desire through right relationship with me. They didn't have right relationship with God, but through his son, Jesus Christ, we are able to have right, uh, right relationship with him. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Repentance can only take you so far. This is why this is not a works-based system that we're talking about. Repentance is necessarily part of the process. It is necessary, but it's to the end that in repentance, we can receive the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, by which we will produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Up until this point, it was not possible for the Holy Spirit to inhabit, indwell people. You remember Jesus said, it's better for you that I do not remain here, that I go away, because unless I go away, the promise of the Father cannot come to you. And what was the promise of the Father? We know the promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit. And by Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood, he sanctified and cleansed us because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Our sins have been taken care of and now we are vessels able to house, indwell the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit indwells you, naturally, Galatians chapter five, you walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, you will produce fruits. In fact, let's read those verses. Chapter 5, 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then down to verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit, nobody ever gets tired of reading these verses. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, the fruit of the spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying each other. You have been given the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things that I love about the Holy Spirit is that the, the, the next, look, look at the next verse. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. God is so faithful to point out the chaff in my life by means of his Holy Spirit. Does God ever do that for you? You're, you're, you, you got the wrong thinking? You're about to do something that you're not supposed to do. And there's that gentle, still, small voice, the reminder of the Holy Spirit that nudges you and say, this isn't something that you want to give yourself over to. And then if God in his grace sees that you're continuing to go down that path that you know that you shouldn't, he'll even give you more ways of warning. I'll get a phone call or a text message or a reminder. And I'm like, oh God, you're so good to remind me not to go down that road. I told you guys a story a few months ago at the pastor, or not the pastors, at the men's conference, Calvary Chapel, Southern Nevada men's conference this year. There was a pastor in boldness who got up and shared that he um, was ordained as a pastor. He was living in California and he was somehow got emotionally involved with a woman, and he was four o'clock in the morning driving to her house to have an affair. He shared this openly with all the men. He said, I was, I was on my way driving to her house to have an affair, and, I, and, and there was a check by the Holy Spirit, and, and I knew that what I was doing was wrong, but there was the part of my flesh that wanted me to push through and go ahead and do it anyway. And he reached a threshold that he knew if he stepped over it, there would be no looking back. And he pulled over on the side of the road, and he said he was weeping that he was actually even considering doing this. And at four o'clock in the morning on the side of a freeway in California, he got a phone call. Somebody called him and he answered the phone and he was so upset that he couldn't even talk. And his friend, the other pastor who got ordained the same day that he did on the phone said, God just woke me up and told me to call you what's going on. He couldn't even, he couldn't even talk. He said, give me a couple minutes, call me back. I'll call you in a few minutes hung up the phone, gathered himself together, whatnot. His friend called back again and said, what's going on? Confessed his sin. This is what's happening. This is where I was going. This is what I was going to do. Turned around, went back. God is so faithful by means of his Holy Spirit to remind us of the things in our lives that are not only not going to produce fruit, but are going to, to prohibit us from being fruitful in life. We're going to sow death and receive death instead of sowing life and receiving life. And God is faithful to wake a friend up, to send the text message, to, to get something that, that you didn't expect. Know that it's not coincidence. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life and is continuing to point you in the direction that you can receive not only forgiveness of sins, but the opportunity to be bountiful in the fruitfulness in your life by being connected to the vine. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. 
And the Sadducees and Pharisees, they had all kinds of secret sin, didn't they? They were doing all kinds of things that they shouldn't have been doing. And that's what John the baptizer spoke to them. That was the level that he spoke to them and said, who flee, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is the King James Version, I, I believe. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Actually allow your life to demonstrate true repentance so that your life can be changed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You can be made into a different person. The baptismal waters, again, signifying that you've, you've been raised to death. You've been laid to death of the old man and raised to newness of life. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's, in review, let's look at those three points that are in opposition to buying into the, the fakeness of, of our world. Number one, probably the most important, repentance. Are you guys, the, our brothers and sisters, my friends, are you guys the people that kind of the exercise repentance on a regular basis? Or do you find yourself sticking your chest out and saying, I deserve this or that, and this is what I should do because I'm better than this or that? Being a place of humility and repentance so that you can be, number two, in the best place to prepare, to be prepared for the things that God is planning, intending to do in your life. Because he is, I get so tired of people when they communicate this as some kind of Christian cliche. This isn't a blanket statement for all of you. This is a direct statement for those of you who are repentant and submitted to God and want to see his kingdom come and his will be done in your life on earth as it is in heaven. Be prepared because it will happen. Number three, present. If you say you believe those things, if you exercise your faith in that way through repentance and preparedness, you'll present yourself in that way. And pre presentation, going to point number four, uh, declare, presentation doesn't necessarily mean that you're just ramming the Bible down people's throats. Now, don't... don't don't make any mistake, you as a believer in Jesus Christ are required at some time or another to vocalize your faith. Sorry, I know that that might be a disappointment because you're like, I don't know what to say. God will give you the words to minister to people. He wants you to declare the work that he's done and is doing in your life. He wants you to declare. And it's not the bullhorn of, of you're going to die and go to hell, you sinners, turn or burn. That's not what it's about. But it's also connected to whether you have those conversations with people, also demonstrate it through presentation in your life. Because people are watching you. You know that. You've heard that for years. People are watching you. Your life is supposed to look differently. Don't be upset or disappointed because your life looks differently because God intends it to look differently so that he can use your life and display what, what true fruitfulness looks like. Our desire here, our passion, is developing by the grace of God a community of authenticity and genuineness. 
I would like to encourage you this morning, if you have some kind of unrepentant sin, I would really strongly encourage you to go to the Lord with that. And if you'd be so bold, I'd encourage you to grab a brother or sister that may be here this morning, sitting somewhere in this sanctuary and have uh, confession time and have them pray for you as well and wait and see the kind of healing that God brings through it. The Bible doesn't say confess your sins one to another for no reason. It's because the person that you confess to had better be able to identify with that place that you're in. (laughs) They had better be because we all fall short of the glory of God. And it's by his grace and his mercy that he picks us up and puts us back together and allows us through preparedness to be used and to represent him as this community of genuineness and authenticity. I hate hype. If you ever think that I get here up here and try to hype up stuff, like I don't hype. I don't like motivational speaking. I mean, Oprah's nice, but her methodology is to be wanting. I, I'm not about presenting things in a way to get you excited. I want to present to you truth and desire that a response to that truth would be looking like the things that we talked about this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm just so, I'm so in awe, God, that, that you that you've called us according to your name, that you've put your seal on us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that you've said that you've called us, you've adopted us as orphans, as your sons and daughters. And we really want to embrace that and identify as that being part of your family and part of your kingdom. And maybe sometimes these, these, these things that we receive, these words that we, we receive from you, maybe they're, they're, they're a bit much. Maybe they're hard to swallow, but, but they are truth. And I know that your heart is for us to be a kind of people who are genuine. And I thank you for pursuing us, even though we don't deserve it. You don't need us, but, but you still you still grab us and, and you still use us, God, as vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor, whatever. We want to be cleansed and, and prepared to be used by you in the way that you desire. And that we as a church and even individually would produce fruits, produce good things abundantly for you and through Jesus' name. I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning to respond to what the Holy Spirit is stirring in our hearts. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, first of all, if you have kind of bought into the fake agenda, the the play it, fake it, act it, so that people think you're somebody that you're not and you're just done with that, that that you want to, let's put it this way also, that you want to exemplify authenticity and genuineness in your life and through your faith. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand up high so that I can pray for you, with you. We can pray together. Anybody that wants to identify 
in authenticity with the calling that God's placed on their life. Raise your hand. I see your hand, brother. Anybody else? I see your hands. Anybody else? I want to be authentic, God. Father, I pray for these who in boldness have, have said, I'm done with the show. I'm done with what, what I think other people expect from me. And, and we are only in our place, in our hearts, where, where you're the only one that matters. You're the one that we want to identify with. You're the one that we can be secure in our calling with. You're the one that we can be secure in our identity with. And God, we pray, I pray for them and for us as a church that, that we would exemplify that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Also, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know if you're thinking when I say these things, Tim, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the reason is because you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ to be able to know what I'm talking about. And I want to say to you this morning that God wants you to respond to him in repentance for your sins so that you can be reconciled to him and that you can receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, so that he can start to do that transforming work in your life. That's the gospel message. Repentance, reconciliation, transformation, abundant life. If you've never done that before, I want to give you the opportunity this morning with everybody's heads bowed still and your eyes closed. Raise your hand up high so that I can pray for you so that you can be reconciled to God and, and, and be restored into a right relationship with him. Anybody at all, if you've never done that before, anybody at all, God sees your heart. God, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters this week, that your word would be sown into our hearts and that we would receive what you've spoken to us, that we would have ears to hear, and we would have hearts to receive that seed. You'd give them the strength, the power to walk in the Holy Spirit, in their interactions with their friends and families, an opportunity to share the love that they've so experienced from you. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.